You're listening to BAU, Business as Unusual, the podcast that is shifting the way we think, interact and transact. Good morning. Morning, Joe. How are you? Very good. Nice to be back. Yes. At HQ Contenders. Yeah, yeah. So this is uh, kind of, I guess, the second roadcast we've done in, yeah, kind of like the last six weeks or so. So it's, uh, yeah, it is nice. Yeah, it's a sign of the times. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Life is getting... Uh, I guess it's more logistics, isn't it? So the busyness, I think, has been the same, but then it's the logistics of moving between places. Yeah, life's opened up a little bit here in Victoria. We're pretty used to it for two years. Yeah. Locked down, but let's not go back in the closet. No, no, the hermit kingdom. Yeah, determined <laughs> never to go back there again, for sure. Yeah, so swell's been coming through this area. You've had some top-notch surfers. Uh, yeah, yeah, I have. I have. I've been very, very fortunate. So, yeah, um, yeah that classic... Uh, you know, I think every surfer, you know, they think this way, which is that if you can find a spot that you know and you know really, really well and you know works in a certain swell at a certain size, you kind of get this hopeful picture in your head and you live in this space, don't you, between is it going to come real, isn't it? And there's all of these factors that go through your head. So who's going to be a crowd? Are there going to be others? Are there going to be other people there? Or are there going to be other things that, you know, I need to kind of think about um, going into it? But then you get there and it's kind of like, you're like, oh, that could be good. <laughs> could, be on. could be on. Could be on. And then, uh, yeah, you kind of, you realize that like, oh, people I like are here as well. And it gets, you know, kind of just builds and builds from there. And I had one of those surfs this week, which was, uh, which was fantastic. Yeah, Joe was telling me off here that waves and landed and... He was hearing the, the sleigh bells. Yeah, absolutely. Happened, yeah, yeah. So. No, it's always a good sign when uh, you see Wave Santa. Yeah, I wanted to bring the Wave Stoke onto the pod. <laughs> yeah. It's a good one. Living vicariously through you. So I'm not going to share my stories on the lack of surf. But have no. you had much of a chance to think? been trying to think we're hot election right now. And oh, aren't we? Yeah. It's never been more apparent that this is. The system needs a revamp. And it needs yeah, a yeah, it's definitely it's motivating to keep thinking for sure when you kind of look yeah. at some of the stuff that you see across our, our airwaves. So, yeah. you know, I saw this, um, I actually saw this picture lighting the fire, uh, which was which was kind of classic of how, um, you know, so there's been this thing around kind of like our current um, Prime Minister, uh, Scott Morrison, being a bit of a bully, you know, that he bulldozes his way through life. And then classic kind of News Corp, they have this photo of Elbow with this kind of like, um, who our uh, opposition kind of leader um, sitting there kind of, you know, with this kind of like grumpy looking kind of um, pointy, scowly face that they would have caught in a moment of time off of a piece of video. And here it is, page three, you know, in, uh, yeah, in our fire lighting paper that we get for free from the, <laughs> from our local news agents, because no one buys it because it's full of crap, but it is good for writing. It is good for lighting fires. But, you know, I think it's, there's no doubt it's a hot discourse, but it's actually, a, there's no substance to it. Is there there's absolutely nothing that we're talking about that is substantial that's what is so hard about it all it just feels like however you chat about it it comes down to the person and then it just feels like the floor gets pulled out from underneath you and there's nothing and people are trying to we have in our system whether you vote above the line or below the line below the line you get to choose between i don't know 50 odd people and you have to number them all and go through the whole system um but they have already sort of, anyway, won't give you the 101 on how it all works, but it is pretty much who's buddies with who is how it gets done. Someone represents some things that are close to you, but 
you're going to compromise on others. And this is where it gets back to that other point is that you have to vote for someone that you already compromise, like, which is a good thing to compromise, but I think you're still putting your vote behind something that you don't fully believe in. So then you're putting it behind a person that you feel like you want to be affiliated with just because Mm. of the way that they've presented. Yeah. And does that align with your idea of yourself? And then it plays out in the news how <laughs> how popular is everyone and how bad are they? And then you see ScoMo tackling children and you get a good laugh. Have you seen that clip? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. I have. Yeah, I have. Yeah, a little but, bit also awkward on the on the old uh, um, soccer, soccer pitch. pitch. Yeah, he got uh, sold again. He pretty quick, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just couldn't keep up with the uh, the quick feet of the old uh, <laughs> seven year old, and they decided to basically put him on the deck, which is. <laughs> about right i guess probably where he's gonna land this election but who knows who knows but regardless where i was going with that long spiel is when you have a conversation with a group of people it's the floor gets pulled from underneath you Mm. and you go back to these short clips of awkward politicians tackling children or doing stupid things and that's a political debate it's not about policy. It's not about direction of a country. It's not about decisions being made. It's about an awkward white dude tackling a young yep. child. Absolutely. And, you know, I've been thinking, I've been thinking since this is kind of like part of why we're here is that so opinion polls used to be broadly representative, right? So in terms of kind of um, statistically, they would be able to get a really, really good representative sample of the whole country. The reason why is because we all were in a telephone directory Mm -hmm. and you could simply find who we were. You do a simple demographic screener. Here you go. Mm -hmm. You're able to represent the country. And that is now gone because, you know, obviously, I mean, I never answer my phone unless I know who it actually is. Um, You know, we'll screen everything unless you're in my address book. I will not answer the phone and it doesn't, it doesn't even ring on, on my end. Now I am not alone in that. Um, Many, many people are, but so what we live in now is we have a, a way that our political ideas are sense checked that is no longer fit for purpose. So I was kind of thinking about, well, what's in it for the existing system this idea that we have around this kind of voice of the people mm. and i think it's it's actually partly that so that you know this systematic reform is that you really separate the onus of citizenship in you know my mind between two things one is that you have to vote for the politician that best represents what you believe the country should be doing but two also you need there needs to be a form and a way for you to actually engage in what matters to you because the what matters to you piece is become skewed so no matter how that's kind of looked at, it's it's not representative. So in a lot of kind of um, elections over the last well, 15 years, it really has started um, in terms of as the technology has allowed us to kind of screen who we who we deal with, etc. Is that it's just simply not representative. So you get these wild swings in elections based on opinion polls, and broadly they're meaningless now, you know, because they're not representative of how the population may be thinking. And digitally, it's not that dissimilar because again the people that you get to engage through a voucher are not necessarily the people who are going to going to be that so in some ways the reform that we're talking about is actually really valid inside the current system Mm. it's definitely valid inside the current system and i think it can be worked out and Mm. it's a good sell to the system because it's always hard to sell a new system yeah um but yeah it does feel broken i think that's a a valid point. One thing that I was trying to think and really felt 
strong about was we were talking about off the back of the voice of the people, but then how do we not corrode it and become the data uh-huh. center of Australia? Yeah. Was going back to our chat with Mr. Data a fair, like last year episode, and they had, I'm just trying to remember his name, uh, Stefan. Yeah, I, can't, uh, I won't recall his last name, so yeah. I'm terrible with that. Yeah. But we can call him Mr. Data because that's what we've always Let's called call him since that. Data. We'll yeah. put footnotes in if yeah. you want to go there. But they had an amazing data project around 100 most important questions in mm-hmm. the world, and their whole mission that they run out of the states but it's worldwide is making data open source so governmental yep. non-for-profit problem solvers can access real strong data lakes but cross silos so it's not stuck in organizations mm. but to initiate this they wanted to open it all up to whoever wanted to participate to create this hundred question catalog and then dull it down into 10 important ones Mm -hmm. and have a voting system on that but anyone could submit in there it's still expert governed but the strength in that yeah who could submit a question Mm. and then from there anyone could vote on those questions yeah was an interesting way to go about it and sift through the the cod the cutter but then also allow people to participate and get a bit of skin in the game yep I thought it was an interesting model to at least look towards how they approached that, how that worked. Mm-hmm. Was there bias? There's obviously going to... It's coming from a centre, so it's hard to step away. But uh, I think a voting system on what questions matter and how that looks mm. is an interesting way to step away from personality and step away into matters that feel and affect you directly and how you want to respond to that. Yep. Yeah, no, for sure. And I've been thinking a lot about, you know, inspired by Mr. Data as well. So, like, if there are open source questions that are going to be created and the data is is open source, which I think it would be, like, I'm much more caught up in who poses the questions and how are those questions approved? Because I think what I would be hoping for is to get to... 80% of alignment around kind of the top 10 issues that affect our our country. But I'd be willing to sit with some random stuff sitting off off to the side. So even if it was 14 and I didn't really think that, you know, four of those were relevant, but the 10 I knew were, I'd be comfortable with that. So one thing I've been thinking about is a way that you could do that is to actually kind of do it through open source, but then actually for what is actually in the Voice of the People survey, you could actually do that through referendum. so that that's actually part of our constitution. So in terms of as an amendment to our our constitution and the way that we've actually federated mm. as states is that those questions become something that in essence is reviewed, um, you know, maybe on a kind of, you know, I certainly wouldn't say it's an every three year um, process, but it could be every 10 mm-hmm. that they're actually reviewed. And the kind questions of re- being asked. Yeah, yeah. that are re- restated. In that sense, I'm not worried about the to. data and people's want to work within that and respond honestly i'm much more worried about us ending up in a ever spiraling circle around who's asking the question and what intent was in the question what bias was in the question and that becoming our political discourse right because that's just as divisive as what we have today for sure so you're Suggesting a, a hybrid model there a of hybrid. something that exists within the sort of census, digital census, exactly. to, to a degree, yep. and that gets reviewed every 10 years. Yep. But then also another 
part that comes in, which is questions submitted, voted on, of importance to be included. Well, what I'm saying is like, the, so the digital census is basically rather than just being something which it is today, which is really yeah. about demographics and kind of income levels yeah. and stuff that's really just, it's it's helpful in a planning context. It's helpful in understanding the age, kind of the potential, yeah. you know, I mean, ultimately, I probably, you know, it's for the ABS, what it allows them to do is project future tax revenues from population as well as understand future demand. So mm. it's kind of, it's most of the questions that are in there are supply and demand questions. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is more getting shaping questions to be the primary role oh, of yeah. this this type of thing where it's compulsory to actually participate in it, as it is broadly with the census. But doing it in a way as being part of a citizen, you actually have to input into this, that therefore that shapes our political discourse mm. so that our polys can't go off piste and kind of be like, well, here's something new. It's like, well, no, no, no. This is actually, yes, 70% of people believe that our borders should be strengthened, let's say, yeah. right? But so the 30% who don't think that, they have to understand that most of the, the politics, like you could have politicians who go, no, no, I want to weaken them, but they'd be going against that. And that might be the way that they want to kind of run their campaign. But that is, we don't have a basis of consensus at, at the moment where we understand just how divided or how united we actually are around things. For sure, and this is sort of a looking answer at how that is. And I think we would, I don't know, it's a gut feeling, but I think we would find that not as divided. I think we started on this conversation is that we wouldn't be as divided as it feels at times. Mm. And there would be a lot more. Hopefully, a a system like this would allow for a lot more nuance in that conversation to understand that there's give and take and that there's... Do you think it would get us back to competence? Like, I think that's that's what I kind of often think about. Executing policy. Yeah, so like rather than... Citizen competence. Both ways. But then also our representatives actually being competent people who can actually, you know, enact policy and actually get on with the with the task the task at hand. Like what I almost feel like we we now live in a world where it's to get elected is like a popularity con- contest which yeah. we've spoken about a lot, but then it's the actual policy that you actually create is very limited, you know, in terms of its its scope and its ambition versus things like this, you know, would be major. You actually see major structural reforms. You'd see lots of different things actually happen. Hmm. And so you're you're asking the question: Do you hmm. think that we've got a right now the people who would be able to execute those and do those major changes rather than just gloat in the fact that they've won a popularity contest for yeah, four years and, yeah. then and would we then get that as a, as a result of this because the you'd discourse have. would change would it you'd hope so you'd like hope that's so. the design of the system like that's what we're pushing that, yeah. that's what we're pushing for you know what I mean yeah. and that's what you would hope would be driven it would be changing the discourse like literally changing the narrative from this popularity contest to more action-based narrative around what are we doing and where is it going and how is it working and how is it being pushed forward and how are we doing this together what are some assessing as we go a bit live and to take it back to your note is that humanity lived in a benign Mm. um, period and now we're getting iteration after iteration after iteration Mm. and i think this is a chance for people to actually if we're taking the data track, like we're learning from what's going on and we're building a system that can learn and grow. Exactly. The hard thing that's going to come up here and it's like a philosophical thing in a system like this is how closely do we want to live and incorporate machines into the way that we govern ourselves? Because there's a real opportunity here hmm. to create 
AI and an interesting governance artificial intelligence that can actually assist and get rid of bias but mm-hmm. it's a dangerous zone and we've had so much sci-fi freak the hell out of everyone yep. but the reality is it's in our lives whether we know it or not like it is dictating the way we consume media which mm-hmm. dictates the way that we interact with each other so it's like it's there it's sort of whether we want to actually confront that fact and realize and yeah. sort of i don't know to use the jedi vibe but <laughs> to use it for good and to understand exactly. and to meet our fallibility which is so present in the way we consume media online like yeah for sure yeah well there's a big difference between directional data and decisions right so mm. and i think that's the part that what we're talking about as a society we would actually have to become more comfortable with is that but we live in this world already. So, like, I've, I've, whether it's a moment in history that we're going to look back on and be like, you know, because there's lots of change that's actually occurred. But the biggest transition is that it's no longer just about projection in terms of that I can kind of say that I do all these things. It's actually now it's quite clear how you operate in in the world broadly, you know, around the, the actual kind of digital trail that, that you leave. So the data is already there but the thing that we're talking about is that it's now using that to be more directional around the things that we actually need to change and cure and there's there's lots of great kind of um you know system design that's come out of using data from the way that we optimize traffic from the way that we actually kind of look at um our healthcare system and kind of predicting where mm-hmm. kind of demand spikes are actually going to come um whether you know in terms of our ability to actually create a much more comprehensive forecast yes there's variability in it but we're actually able to look much further into the future i.e kind of 16 days out and broadly understand what's actually coming our way so that we can actually work through it. But then as humans, we still don't fully buy into it, right? So it's, um, you know, I look at, for example, this is, I mean, this is one of the biggest issues of our time is that the, because the other part of sci-fi that you also see portrayed is actually that data is everywhere. The machine is what we ask questions to, and it's something that actually gives us direction, but it doesn't make the decision. We still have to act on the scenario that it puts in front of us, but we're kind of already there. If you look at a lot of like our weather forecasts, extreme weather events, fires, it's that it's nearly you know yes of course there's error but it's pretty close to being able to actually tell us what is likely to happen and then but we still we still stay right funny thing that you say that i was having a conversation yesterday with a client and Mm. one of the things that (coughs) they do is they're trying to break down warning fatigue so they come over the meteorology here in Australia and they actually make the data granular but everyone in catchment we've had a lot of floods here hmm. everyone in a certain area saying move has been told to move because it's government and it's bureau covering their yeah, ass by like conversion. a ridiculous amount of yeah. margin hmm. whereas they're coming in and saying we want to work with that system but what we've actually done and it's very clever what they've done is hmm. modulate the water flow to be able to predict it and they're using artificial intelligence that's getting smarter every time that they modulate this and they can now door knock and tell directly direct people that this in real time and forecast that yep. this is going to happen it's super wise to move yeah but one of the key players in this in terms of rolling out this system comes from an emergency background and it's brutal to hear him talk sometimes he's such a jaded man because <laughs> 
he has been that person who goes to a coastal area and says there's a cyclone or that there's a big weather event coming and people are sitting there in their chairs sipping whatever saying piss off I've heard that before it's never happened here I've lived here X amount of years and then he's and then they've and they say no we're telling you it's coming and we're not coming to pick you up like it's too dangerous people stay and then they get the call (laughs) and then they figure something we can't Mm. and that's a hard that's a hard thing to break through on a human level but on the back of that if I can he added something really interesting was human movement at the moment is he's like yeah there was two young fellas with an older fella sitting there and he's like can you tell us like what's changed so much about the way people move and i was like i can't mm. he's like everyone moves no one's really staying where their parents grew up mm. and so when it comes to emergency responses and like that um the information that's passed on is not there so where do we look for that information and where is our trust and where is our cognizance that the way that the environment's spinning and working like how do we interact with that and where's that trust so interesting piece to how technology sort of filling that void and Mm. how how much we trust it is an interesting space because it's risk versus reality and it seems like a lot of people are actually quite risk fatigued no doubt and a lot of that i think comes back to the central question that we're talking about is that in in something like this it's the ability for the data to be to be trusted Mm -hmm. at some level but i think there's degrees of trust right so the the real interesting part about data is that it can be more predictive and it can actually learn and take that in to be able to create a model that actually gets better over time Mm -hmm. whereas humans we can't do that so like our mental model and um you know gets gets fixed and this is what's interesting about this mentality like it's never happened here right that is that's actually true it has never happened here in the way that you would believe it would play out based off of the mental model that a lot of communities create these mental models around particularly around fire around you know here and around floods increasingly in terms of kind of what this weather event may do what it's done in the past and this notion of a hundred year flood is really what data starts to challenge is that well hold on if you actually look at it a hundred year flood on a river system perhaps but if you look at it through the context of what's happened i guess to that specific area of a river and what could happen based off of what's changed in the river flow based on how that river lives today that is totally different 100 percent, and that is what's so different and then yeah i think trusting that data and understanding what that is mm. and then trusting the machine that's telling us that's the crossover point that i think it's gonna hit but yeah uh, getting to the data source i think it can we can build off one of the questions we left last week was we're worried about the data center Hmm. but i think we can encrypt the data enough where it's not tracked and it's open source i think Hmm. i feel like anyway on a personal level i feel we could build a system that is encrypted enough and it is legislated enough that it is um, you know, like you don't know who, where that's coming from, but it is no. verified that it's coming from yeah. a citizen. But it comes from two way. I think it's a two way thing. Like I've been thinking a lot about this, right? So that like it's this two way dynamic that that happens. So even just staying with the flood example for a second. Now, if I as a citizen have basically, I'm able to look at that 
data set mm. and actually if I wanted to be able to understand it through my own way make my own choice around how I receive my um, emergency warnings things I trust based in that space to be able to give me the information that's relevant to me that then of course I trust it and that's so much of our issue at the that's moment is that it's 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 very one-sided it's that the data yeah. is more held in a way that actually is still quite controlling and then yeah. told versus what we're talking about is really as a it's really about digital citizenship and understanding that this is predictive but there's different ways you could interpret it most people are going to interpret it this way but i could sit there quite easily in this scenario if i was half decent at programming and build my own little scenario for my own little patch of the river yeah and sit there watch it plug it all into the thing and be like yep time to go right or i could be like nah not gonna get to me yeah right for for some reason that that i believe in and that's that's what we're talking about is that it becomes predictive but it's it's about that it's being shared and so much of our issue at the moment is that this data already broadly exists right i mean we've talked about it even through purchase behavior but no one controls that in a way that is about citizenship it's in a way that's about commerce yeah and it's access and literacy around data Hmm. It was interesting, this fellow also said, American versus Australian way of interacting with data and disseminating it's very different. How so? Because it's commercial, more commercial in the States. Well, in an emergency response, he's saying that in America, it's not very government-orientated, it's very individual literacies right up there, whereas in Australia, hmm. literacy around data and accessing that is very poor, and we disregard the authorities when they do knock on the door and say, hey, this is going to happen, like, hey, what are you talking about? <laughs> Yeah. my turf yeah so there's this it's it's i think we're hitting on that point around i feel like we should, should allow access to that data because then it just yeah. opens up that conversation and it's like you can yeah. look at that if you want yeah and you can have big explainers tutorial all sorts well, of different ways we? to engage why wouldn't we exactly it's, it's our data exactly like, it's and the then it's just building ways to Exactly. Well said with the yeah. Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. And that should be maybe the name of that data set. It yeah. is the Commonwealth because, yeah, wealth is knowledge. Absolutely. And that is the biggest knowledge source. Yeah. But then you're getting into like the piece, like the, the thing on kind of American versus Australian. What, what you're touching on is just its cultural difference. Yeah. Right. And the thing, though, that's, that's happening everywhere across the world is that that is becoming less relevant as we interact with something that is broadly the same for everyone in terms of its benign, mm. actually, in terms of what it actually looks at. But then it's about the agenda that's put on that is the cultural lens that we bring to that as, as humanity. Right. So we actually bring our own stuff to the doorstep and kind of interact through that now america is interesting in that it's you know what happens you know in is is often more commercialized Mm. in terms of the kind of the the response to these things but as a person you are on your own right i mean i think you you know you only have to spend 10 minutes in america to understand that that's that's the belief set right yeah and i think you're hitting something but i reckon we're hitting the intersection of culture and system yep and so system plays a huge part in there and that's where like in terms of the systems put in place now to inform citizens here is so different because it is commercial Mm. so the systems are informing cultural response here between the two and it's very institutionalized responses here in australia but then so is the responses say for an organization like that to get proper funding is they have to tip into the bucket that's traditionally been only for emergency responses, not emergency prevention. Exactly. And so you're dealing with the wrong 
group of people when you're trying to get preventative measures, which save a ridiculous, a shared load of money if you actually invest in those organisations to prevent damage and to prevent loss of life. Mm. But having that conversation is hard because the systems that are in place right now really look positively and work very well when a disaster hits. But now that we go into an era where disasters are becoming more and more prevalent, Mm. it's just, it's not a sustainable, feasible way of approaching it. No. But that's where it sits. So that's where that system has to change but it's also a cultural thing that they're mm. sort of so into it wind one yeah. and the same yeah they are they are and i mean you saw that through i guess the the bushfire commission here in victoria quite clearly pointed that out but yet really it's only now and this is what 12 years on that we're starting to actually see the systemic reform around even simple things like how you build a home in a bushfire prone environment so it's taken the legislation and 12 yeah. years to catch up with the reality of what actually happened on that on that day which is that no one could have gotten out of that fire in a way because the wind switched so quickly that no one can get out of there so therefore you have to really think about how you build for that context and how you actually kind of come through but you're so right in that our culture versus our systems but what i wonder is like we when we think about data i think we we're implicitly doing that we're implicitly going okay well how do we systematize it and how does how do we put a cultural take on it whereas i think the the stronger sense of it is actually allow it to be free of those things so that it sits above all of it as something that we can actually look to to then actually help us inform our system and adapt our culture or you know it reinforcing of our culture 100 mm. percent um for sure and i think if you can in an ideal world sit it above that please but i just think it'll get segmented but i think if we can lev- levitate it uh, yeah. to a degree yeah and let it sit there and let it have questions asked of it and feed information that feels of the Commonwealth and feel like people are contributing to the Commonwealth, Mm. then I think we are changing systems and changing culture just by the fact that we've levitated something that is the Commonwealth and doesn't sit on the head of... For sure. And that's what we... I think, you know, like it's it's kind of what does it take to be a digital citizen is actually the... That's the core of this whole question that we keep coming back to, I think, is that we are... As a democracy, we are not a digital democracy in that we haven't freed, like the kind of, like it's it's always fascinates me, like the land of the free is broadly the tenant of democracy, i.e. I actually have the right to own my land, but we haven't taken that and I have the right to be treated under law in a certain way that protects my property and my place and my livelihood, but we haven't taken that to a digital sense right in terms of that actually my data actually has the ability to shape all of this and i actually have the right to understand where that sits and be able to actually input into this digital system and like it's like we kind of i don't know we're caught up in two ages that's what i often think about in terms of this this time that we're living through is that it's what we have is no longer fit for the challenge that we actually have but the challenge we actually have isn't even a challenge it's actually the biggest opportunity that we have right in terms of actually really understanding how in the best way we possibly can how we interact with this planet how we interact with each other and helping to shape that through something that already exists like it's such a a head scratcher when you really think about it yeah when you pull the curtain back and realize what is there how it's actually in, in, how it's working right now and then how to build it into something that is legacy like democracy and bring it into the digital 
But how do you teach digital citizenship? I mean, maybe that's the the kind of the last question. I think that's where it's landing. Mm -hmm. It's like, how do you actually then do the the most key bit, and that is citizen citizen digital ship? Like, what is that? How do you enact that? And how do you? Because we're talking about something that's quite egalitarian. I can't talk. (laughs) Egalitarian. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And how do you do that Mm. without forcing people to feel like they're just going to get another free sausage and vote? (laughs) Yeah. That's the that's the trick. Yeah. And if you can execute that, then I think there's you go a long way to um, making that making that stretch and making people feel like they are contributing Mm. to that Commonwealth and that there is. A real merit to doing that but making it easy to do it yeah so maybe that's what we do like using your kind of analogy but i think so if you imagine that the data broadly has to be kind of free like it's a it's almost it has to become you know like in the u.s constitution the right to kind of life liberty and happiness is an inalienable right for for all um well it started out as men um unfortunately and that's obviously was part of the system design at that point which is really unfortunate but that said that's kind of inalienable right that no one can challenge it's like well we should all have the right to our own data and actually have that shape the way that we actually kind of you know are governed etc it feels like that's this that's the kind of the constitutional bit, but then there's a cultural and a systems piece to your point that is completely lacking. So in culture, what does it actually mean to be a digital citizen and in system, System. how open should that actually be and how much kind of like feedback should you be able to see, right? The idea of kind of um, open government. I mean, it's it's really nonsense when you actually kind of ask any government department. I mean, you try, (laughs) you try to get like your it's own details back out of the government good luck right but yeah. that that would have to kind of change but that's perhaps where we go with the kind of last episode in this series is thinking about what would those changes need to be in a system and in your culture yeah let's go there all right all right thanks Joey. thanks pat thank you for listening to bau business as unusual subscribe and learn more at baupod.co that's baupod.co